Yeah, Ann and I, we met through Every Woman's Grace, and we do love to teach, and we love to study God's Word, and we love eschatology. That's one of our favorite subjects as well. And we love good stories. And Anne has a really good story to start us off this morning in regards to our topic and our first point. Well, um, I just wanted to start. First of all, we love being here. This is so fun for us. So thank you for inviting us, number one. But um, we're going to talk a lot about femininity, but we wanted to start by just asking a simple question. Lynn, have you ever been conned? Yes, unfortunately, I can answer that with an affirmative. Yeah, I've been conned. I'm sad to say I have been conned before. Um, Lauren, you won't remember this story because I think you were very little, but you've heard of it, I'm sure. It's embarrassing to be conned. But years ago, at my house, the doorbell rang, and a very friendly and very persuasive saleswoman came to the door. I opened the door and she was selling a cleaning product, you know, a spray thing. And and I diligently said, thank you for your time, but no, I'm not interested. She kept persisting. She was so nice. She was so friendly and she kept persisting. And I just kept saying no. In the meantime, my kids are gathering around me. Even the little neighbor kids are over. They're standing behind me at the entryway. And finally, she says, look, you don't have to buy anything from me. Just give me your toughest stain. Just the, that one thing you cannot clean. I'll clean it for you. You don't have to buy anything. Okay, so I said, okay, come on in. So she came in, and I had a little bitty stain on my brown carpet. It was brown at the time. little bitty. And so she gets out her stuff, and she's spraying, scrubbing, spraying, scrubbing, spraying, scrubbing, and we're laughing, we're talking, we're buddies now. So we are, I'm watching her, and this little tiny thing is now like a, this big of suds, and she um, says, look, it's gone, and I got down, the kids got down, it, the stain was gone, it truly was gone, and we're like, I'm like, wow, that's amazing, I'm going to buy that from you. But I'm a little concerned because what about this sudsy part? And she said, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to dry. It's going to look just like new. Paid way too much for her little cleaning supply. And you can imagine how silly I felt when I walked downstairs the next morning and I had a four-inch bleach spot on my brown carpet, which stayed with me for years, <laughs> because uh, it was years before we got new carpet. But it is embarrassing to be conned. It's, you feel so foolish. But a good con artist makes incredible promises to their victim, and they gain their confidence. They gain it through lies, through friendliness, through persuasion, through manipulation, and sometimes even through fear. So, What is a con? How do these con artists find their victims like me? Well, a con is a confidence game, and it requires getting someone's trust or their confidence. If you are a target of a con, the one trying to con you is going to kind of hone in on that thing that you want or need 
the most at that moment. And then they're going to lie to you. They're going to confuse you until they gain your confidence. This is where the word con comes from, from confidence. So today we want to tackle some of the ways that we've been conned, specifically regarding God's design for women. So we need to look at where our confidence sometimes is misplaced, but where our confidence needs to be. So we want you to know, ladies, that God has a purpose for women and a specific purpose for each one of you. And you can live fully and joyfully within God's design for you. We have an outline that, you know, I don't know that anybody's taking notes, but if you're taking, if you're a note taker, we do have an outline. The first one is don't be conned. God has a purpose for women. The second is God has a purpose for you. So put your confidence in God. And the biggest con in human history began with the master con artist and a woman, and that started in the garden in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And we see how Satan did it. The way he did it was clever. In fact, Genesis 3, 1 says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Eve responded that God had told them, oh, that there was one tree that they could not eat from. In fact, they couldn't touch it or they would die. Well, God did say that they couldn't eat of it, but he never said that they couldn't touch it. So she's already confused. And then Satan digs in, oh, you will surely not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's Genesis 3, 5. So he is conning Eve into thinking that God is the one who doesn't tell the truth. God isn't on her side. He is way too restrictive. He is holding back something really good from her. Perhaps he doesn't love her and doesn't want the best for her. He is telling her that disobeying God, which is sin, isn't really that bad. She won't surely die just for eating some fruit. Instead, she'll receive these amazing benefits. She will be like God, knowing good from evil. And saying, oh, you can make your own choices, and you have control. And the word of the day that describes this, girls, you might have heard this, is bodily autonomy, meaning my body for me, my body, my choice. And this is where the con began, and it's where it always begins, and it's, there's nothing new under the sun, because it says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what it tells us. So don't be conned. Do not be conned. We live in a society and a culture where the truth is under attack, and so we want to share a few foundational principles to help you not be conned when it comes to the issue of biblical womanhood. Yeah, and Satan, that wicked, wicked con man, has successfully convinced the world of a few things. First, that there is no absolute truth. Everything's relative, and you can even make up your own truth. Did you know that the prophet Isaiah told of a time to come in Isaiah 59 when there would be no justice People would walk in darkness and sadness, and they would be speaking continually of oppression and revolt. It says in Isaiah that this would be a time that truth would be missing. Hmm. 
Hmm, sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Well, it was true for Israel before, and it is true for us now. But truth, ladies, is not relative. Absolute truth exists in the one true God. Psalm 5710 says, For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the skies. Yeah, I do too. I love that verse. (laughs) I do too. There's another satanic lie about truth, and that's there. There is truth, but it just can't be known. But Jesus tells us he is truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And he said he can be known in John, the book of John, John 14. He said to his disciples, and will you know the truth, and the truth will, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And he's referring to himself. Another lie that is extremely prevalent today is that men and women's roles are interchangeable. We're very familiar with that lie, aren't we? But God says that women and men are equal in essence, but they do have different roles. Genesis one twenty seven starts it off by saying that we are created equally in the image of God. Man did not receive more of God's image than woman, and woman did not receive more of God's image than the man. But what is unique about the way God created women? Well, we are created differently. Man was made first from the dust, but woman was made from the man. And scripture says that then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Ladies, woman was created for man, according to Genesis 2.22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Part of our identity, ladies, is that we are highly, highly relational. We saw that going on right here before we got started today. We're highly relational. Like Eve, we're drawn to intimacy, we're drawn to connection and to relationships. The Bible teaches that equality can contain differences, but the world teaches that equality is sameness. It's not true. Right. And then one last lie that we're going to cover is that we can define our own sexuality and gender. But God says, again, that he created us male and female, Genesis 1.27. So you young women are living in a time that we never thought that we would see with a complete twisting of God's design, where the culture is telling you that your biological God-given body is up for grabs. Not true, because it's leading to homosexuality and transgender confusion, all of which is rooted in not believing that God created you with intention and purpose, but he did. And his word is truth. And he did make you, it says in Job, your hands fashioned and made me all together. So we just think it's important to say this because you are being bombarded by the world with a message that is saturating the market. I, um, subscribe to the Goodreads newsletter. 
So with that, I know what books are coming in for all the different categories and young adults, young adult books, and they have different categories. Well, for the last year that I have noticed, this is what's coming hot off the presses, are that the young adult books for the romance section are far more top-heavy with same-sex relationships and couples, far outweighing the male-female. So that's what we know you guys are walking into when you go to Barnes & Noble. And a young adult category is ages 13 through 18. So that is what the the world is offering you. So if anyone deals with that, with same-sex attraction or transgender lies, We just want you to know that there is a misunderstanding of who God says you are if you're thinking that way. And maybe you don't feel particularly feminine. If that's true, you don't probably quite understand what that means, or maybe you're feeling uncomfortable in your own skin at the moment. If that's true, it's crucial that you align your thoughts with God's word and trust him. God made you female. That means you are female. You have been given feminine traits. Maybe they're not fully realized yet, but you have them. We came across some startling statistics, too, that we just wanted to share with you briefly because this issue is attacking everybody and it's becoming pandemic in women and young women, even in the church. And the reason we're sharing this is because it's assaulting God's design for women. It's tweaking young minds and it's sending young people and adults down a path of destruction. And it's the issue of pornography. And there was a survey in 2016 that said, and this is a Barna survey, so that's more uh, conservative, that 76% of males and females who claim they are church attenders with the age of 18 through 24 say that they regularly engage in pornography. And we know that it's even younger than that. So The widespread use of that is making young people think, apparently, even in the church, girls, that it's acceptable and it's not that bad. But that is a satanic lie. We know it's a lie because God is extremely clear on the subject. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, a man sins against his own body, and that's in 1 Corinthians 6. Sexual immorality, ladies, is any form, any form of sexual thought or behavior which is outside of God's plan and God's commands. Our creator says that sex is to be between a man and a woman who are married to each other. There's no ambiguity there. The world, though, confuses us and tells us that we, not God, have the right to define and decide these things. Feminism, for example, is a great place to start with how we've been confused and conned. Girls, this is a term that you hear all the time, but perhaps you don't really know the meaning of it. Did you know that the dictionary declared the word feminism to be the 2017 word of the year. Well, what does it really mean? What does it really describe? I'm a little bit of a word nerd, so just bear with us here. Um, Fem, feminism, fem in Latin means woman. 
the Latin suffix, the ending part of it, ism, means the principles or the doctrines or a devotion to. So what this word really means and describes is someone who builds their life principles, they have a devotion to, and they set all their beliefs on women. Hmm, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? It sounds weird to me. It sounds very, very self-focused. But God's word says something very different, doesn't it? It says, be careful to not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, which it says is taught by craftiness, trickery, and deceitful scheming. And that's in Ephesians 4. And it also says to agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine that conforms to godliness in 1 Timothy. So the con that the feminist movement has taught us women is that we should rebel against our God-given roles of being wives and mothers and keepers of the home and helpers because that, they tell us, is a form of oppression. But they also say that being tender and being kind is, just shows weakness. You're just weak if you do that. But we're not called to be feminists, ladies. We're called to be and we're created to be feminine. Feminist is a worldly belief system, but to be feminine is God's design. And we want to be, and we want you to be the women that God designed you to be and has stated in his word. You know, throughout human history, in fact, up until about five minutes ago, uh, people understood and they took for granted the differences between men and women. They're pretty obvious to anybody who's looking, but it's not so obvious to the world anymore, is it? No, it isn't. So let's talk a little bit about what does it mean to be feminine. We'll talk about a few of those traits. So femme, like we said, woman, but the I-N-E, I guess in the Latin suffix, made of, likeness of, softness, and tenderness, and delicate. Well, Firstly, though, we need to stop thinking of feminine the way the world does. The world tells us that to be feminine, perhaps, you know, you have to wear pink, ruffly dresses and be petite and perky and pretty. Like that's feminine, right? But real femininity is an inward quality. Those are the character traits that are unique to God's design. First Peter 3, 3 through 4 says, your adornment, your beauty must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on garments, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Well, what does this mean? Firstly, merely external means that you don't put excessive time and money into appearance over and against your character development, obviously. But that doesn't mean you don't put any into it. I mean, we need to care about our appearance because it does play a part in how we reflect the Lord. Yeah, like we didn't pop out of bed looking like this. (laughs) Yeah, And John MacArthur has famously said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. I love Excuse that. Excuse me. Paint the barn. Yes. So Carry on. Well, <laughs> and the truth is, girls, this is true for everybody, that 
everything that you do communicates something. The way that you dress, the words that you say, the look on your face, how you enter a room, it all communicates something to everyone around you. So as far as a gentle and quiet spirit, well, perhaps even just listening to the two of us right now, you would say, I don't think we would exactly describe those two as quiet, for instance. Outwardly, I think we are, you know, pretty gregarious and forthcoming. You know, you can ask our husbands and our families how we are, but we also strive for a gentle spirit. So you can have a gentle spirit, but still speak the truth in love, be bold in your convictions. You can have a dynamic personality. The gentle spirit is deeper than what you see. It's really speaking of humility and self-control. So you can be a strong woman, but loving and gentle and possess self-control all at the same time. And there's a difference between being strong or being contentious and bossy. That you don't want to be. You don't want to cause strife or argue or always have to share your opinion because I have an opinion on everything. It doesn't mean that I have to share it every time, right? But That's really what we're going for is the self-control of the spirit. And that takes actually a lot of strength. And we love Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be full of grace, but seasoned with salt, so edifying, so that we should know how to answer each person. So you see there, we do speak. We we speak and we speak the truth. And that's really important. But we've been given that self-control through his spirit. So if you're a Christian, we... If, if you are a Christian, you do possess the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We have that, right, Anne? We do have that. And we also have these God-given that we saw in Eve. She was fit to the man. Um, being strong yet feminine is actually found and reflected in our response towards men. We saw this from the garden. Um, We're made to be responders. And for some reason, for some reason, the world has convinced us that this is a bad thing. Um, As a small example, just a tiny little example, recently I was on a trip with a bunch of uh, young men and young women. It was college-age people. And um, I noticed right away, right away, There were a couple of young men, one in particular, who every time there was, you know, a hill or something or stairs to walk up, he would say, can I take your luggage to a girl or whatever? Let me carry your, let me help you. Or if I was hopping down from a rock or something, there was a hand out there to help me. You know, there was just, there were a couple of guys, one in particular, as I said, that stuck out to me. So being who I am, at the end of the trip, I had this group of young women around me, and they were kind of watching him, this guy who was very helpful. And I, so I asked him about it. I said, I said, yeah, he's really helpful. Do you guys like that? And they're like, yeah. We, you know, it was very appealing to them, but they said something very interesting to me. One of the girls said, you know what? It's so weird. She said, Every time he said, here, let me get that for you, my reaction every time was, oh, no, 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 I got it. I'm good. I'm fine. And we talked about that. We talked about that, and I said, 
you know, well, why did you do that? And she said, I don't, I don't even know why I did that. I actually, I actually kind of wanted him to carry me. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. The point isn't, can you carry your luggage, ladies? You have arms. You have muscles. Of course, you can carry your luggage. But the point really is <clears throat> practicing the roles that God has created us for. You don't just know how to do it instinctively because the world is telling us something very different. So if, if you want to respond to a guy by saying, thank you, I'd love it if you carried my luggage, that would be a great thing for you to do to practice being a responder. But even better, we're helping men to be men. You know, every single time you say, heck no, I can carry my own luggage. You're really telling him, you know, I don't need you. And you know what? You're weakening his role just a little bit every time you do that. So we have been conned in a lot of areas. So the next time you are in that kind of situation, you know, just watch. Just watch for your response, what you think first, what you respond with, because it may reveal something about what you really believe in your heart. God has given women traits like being responsive and nurturing and tender and delicate. And I like this um, analogy because it's, it's like being um, intricately woven together like a very fine and delicate spider's web. So strong, but also very delicate. So, Lynn, where, just in the Bible, where do we see some of these strong yet delicate women? Well, we have one in Mary, and I just I just have to say that definition again. I love this, girls. Delicate is woven together like but strong like a spider's web. I mean, you know you know how hard it is? Have you ever tried to really get a spider web off something? Boy, those things are tough. They stick to you. They do stick to you. So I, I love that because delicate has just given me a new vision of what it means to be delicate. So you still have that strong underpinning. So how about Mary for delicate yet strong? In Luke 1, 26 through 38, the world sees her as the mom to our Lord Jesus, which of course she is. But the real lesson we learned from her began way before she was a mom or married. Mary was about the age, maybe of some of you in this room, maybe younger. She was favored by the Lord. Why? Because she believed that nothing will be impossible with God. And that is real courage and strength and faith. And she submitted to the Lord as his servant. She wanted his will more than her own. And just a few notes about what this submission would have cost her. Her reputation. She was pregnant and unmarried. It would have cost her future. Who would marry her? How would she live under these circumstances? Her love. She was betrothed to Joseph. And we have no reason to think that she didn't love this man. And her life, because remember, what is the penalty for adultery? Stoning. But Mary believed God. She was strong and bold, and her submission propelled her to step out in faith and receive what God had for her life. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. That's Luke 1, 38. 
So not only is she an example of being strong yet delicate, she is also a great example of submission, which is part of what God has designed us to do and to be. The world has completely abused the word submission, just so you know. (laughs) It means a voluntary lineup underneath authority. And I love this definition too, to yield without complaining. Yeah, we can all practice that, right? To yield without complaining. Because we are all under the mandate to submit to authority, first and foremost to God. Now, as women, young women, we have some added nuances to the concept of submission because we must do so in marriage. So that's kind of an extra piece. But everyone needs to be practicing submission in whatever situation you are in, because there are always authorities in your life, right? First Peter 5, 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So most of us have a hard time, don't we, daily submitting to God in circumstances we don't like. To parents, maybe if they tell you you can't have a phone or you can't drive the car or you can't go to a party or you're too young to date or fill in the blank, whatever it is. But you need to practice submitting to your parents now for future for future marriage or what have you, or even submitting to bosses if you are in a career right now. When you're asked to do something that is outside of your job description and you still have to submit, or submitting to teachers, and that's generally where we live, right? But we're all commanded to practice this. So we've just looked at a couple of things about femininity and how that's exemplified in some traits like being gentle, self-controlled, responsive, submissive, yet strong. But you know what, girls, none of these traits that others can see are valued by God unless you are holy. Did you hear that? Unless you're holy. Because if if you come away with only one thing you remember from today, holiness is really the essence of femininity. Because it is at the heart of God's design for women. All believers, men or women, were called to be holy as he is holy. We see that in Leviticus 20. But there's something about womanhood, about femininity, that puts the truths of God and about God on display to the world. God's glory is represented in our masculinity and in our femininity. Romans 1.20 supports this when it says, um, Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible as though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he has made. So people are without excuse. But part of the confusion or what may be making things a little foggy in this area is the influence, here we go, that the internet and social media have had on an entire generation. And that influence can really obscure the truths that we know from scripture. We understand that the internet and social media 
is part of all of our lives, right? We get that. Even though we grew up at a time, right, and when... Uh, <laughs> we didn't have it. <laughs> no, Not only did we not have it, but you had to sit... If you wanted a phone call, we didn't even have voicemail or a tape recorder yet. So if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to stay home and wait for that person to call you on the phone. Can you imagine that, girls? Have any concept of that? Anyway, yeah, that's we, how far we've we, come. <laughs> we digress, but that just reminds me. I remember we had in my house where I grew up. This this is for free. This is not in our script. Um, there was a phone on the wall in the hallway between the two upstairs bedrooms, and my boyfriend, who is now my husband, um, used to he would call me. And I would lay on the floor in the hall. I would just wait for that phone to ring. And then I'd lay on the floor in the hallway to talk to him for hours. Yeah. And people would have to step over me. Anyway. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, access to the Internet, though, is, it's here. It's part of our lives now. Um, and it became mainstream in our homes in the 1990s. So that means that most of you in this room have never known life without it, Right. Um, it began slowly. It began actually somewhat innocently, but we all use it and we all think we cannot live without it now. Whether it's TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know what people do, honestly. <laughs> but um, even Google, you know, they're not evil in and of themselves. We're not saying that. But you can't deny that they've had a devastating impact on your generation. A new standard for beauty, for success, for popularity, and for righteousness has been established through the internet. The easy access and seemingly private aspect of the internet has tempted many into sin. Psalm 90 verse 8, though, says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's nothing secret, ladies. And right here, I just want to veer off for a second. You moms out here, um, I just wanted to remind you gently, um, protect your children. The world wants your daughters. And you and I, we have been given the high honor and the responsibility of protecting and guiding them we know that you're doing that. You're here today, right? So we know that you are already doing that, but it's good to be reminded to protect your daughters and your sons from temptation. Be aware of what they're looking at and what they're listening to. Do not, do not assume that they can fight off the temptations on their own. We need to help them to guard their hearts just like we're told in Proverbs 4.23, guard our heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, you girls, you daughters out there, likewise, you know, it's not all on your mom. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and it is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 and Colossians 3.20 support that. Your parents girls want you to be godly women. They want that. And it doesn't have to be a battle. So 
Maybe today's a good day to have an honest discussion with your mom. Tell her what you need, what you want. You know, if you need access to the internet, be honest about it. But be willing to obey her in this area. Because we need to guard against the sins that can be magnified because of our internet and social media habits. Some sins um, that can be magnified because of them are um, jealousy and discontent, right? Studies tell us that 88% of all women are not satisfied with their looks. And um, this statistic uh, reveals that this discontent is prevalent. And interestingly enough, it really spiked with the arrival of social media. Hmm. There's a connection because you have millions of people now that you compare yourself to instead of just, you know, the girls in your high school. Yeah. That's where that came from. Yeah. And now there are increases in other areas as well. And they're not good. There's a negative social pressure and comparison that you get. There's an increase in eating disorders. There's an increase in psychological therapies and suicides. Girls, don't be conned. Getting young women to decide their worth by comparing themselves to others is a very old con. You know, we think, if I were taller, if I were shorter, if I were thinner, if I were curvier, if I were smarter, prettier, more athletic, just like so-and-so, things would be so different in my life. Yeah, I hated being tall. I was this height when I was 14. And so... Wait, wait. What is that height? Well, uh, 5'11 and 3 fours. However, my husband said I'm shrinking. And he did measure me the other day, and I have shrunk by two inches. But you know what? That's okay, because I could shrink like five inches and still be 5'5". Five five, so I'm okay. But I, I, I hated it, because when you are a teenager, the one thing that you do not want to do is stand out. You just want to blend in. And I started high school and I was taller than most of the boys, taller than half the staff. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, right? So my parents couldn't sit down and say, look, this all has to do with the sovereignty of God. He made you for a purpose. It was much more, well, you can reach the top shelf in the supermarket. And you know what? It is not an altogether useless skill. I do use that often. I'm, I'm asked to do that often, but it was so miserable back then. I wanted to be small. I wanted to be cute. I wanted to be a cheerleader. And I still remember the girl's name that I wanted to be, Susie Fanko. <laughs> All these years later, I can tell you that's who I wanted to be. Um, but it just makes me, it just really made me very, very self-conscious. But I tell people now I'm totally fine with it. And I, I always say this, and this is really true, because because I am this tall, I can eat lots of chocolate and it has somewhere to travel. That's what I say. But I don't know. Why did God make me this tall? I don't know. For his purpose. It's for his purpose. And when I became a born-again Christian, I realized that it was for his purpose. And of course, King David famously says in Psalm 139, 13, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that you know that my soul knows very well. And the word for inmost being means your longings and desires and the center of your emotions. 
So girls, David is saying that God created everything about him, physically, mentally, emotionally, even his personality. You in this room are the result of the attentive, careful, thoughtful, intimate, detailed, creative work of God. Your personality, your womanhood, your features are because God made you exactly the way that he made you down to the shape of your nose. David didn't praise God that he was handsome, although he was. He he really was. He was. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) he praised God. Ruddy and handsome. (laughs) Ruggedly. Because God had made him. So even think of this when it comes to what we refer to as disabilities, right? This is evidenced in John 9 with Jesus and the blind man. Because Jesus said that the man was born blind so that the works of God should be revealed in him. So only God knows why he allows disabilities for his own purpose and glory. But it says in Exodus 4.11, And Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? And Jerry Bridges, author of the book, Trusting God, says, did did he create you with an incurable speech impediment? He did so because that particular infirmity uniquely fits you for the life he has planned for you. And I love this quote, and I think it's so true. You will never really enjoy other people. You will never have stable emotions or lead a godly life of contentment. You will never conquer jealousy and love others as you should until you thank God for making you the way he did. Yeah, but the struggle's real, right? We know that sometimes finding contentment really is a struggle for us. And we see this really beautifully in scripture, in the life of Leah. Leah, who was the weak-eyed unattractive older sister of beautiful Rachel. She's kind of the Susie Fanko Fanko of the group. She's beautiful. But Leah was used by her own father to get seven more years of work out of Jacob. She was unloved by her husband, Jacob. She was resented by her own sister because she had children And Rachel did not have children. I'm pretty sure, I think we can safely say that this was not the life that Leah had envisioned for herself or prayed for for herself. She probably wanted to be the beautiful one who was loved by the man. But God had a specific purpose for Leah. God did give Leah children. The first son, she named Reuben. And she named him because it means the Lord saw her. The second son, she named Simeon. And she named him that because it means the Lord heard her. The third son, she named Levi because she really desired the presence and the attachment of her husband, Jacob. But she was content because she always had the presence of the Lord, and that's what his name means. And then, then she has Judah. Judah means praise the Lord. So she finally praised the Lord. Leah, ladies, never received the love from Jacob 
that she so wanted her whole life, adult life, but she received so much more from the Lord because he saw her, he heard her, he never left her. And then, then she lived to praise him and give him all the praise and all the glory. Leah exemplified Psalm 30, 37 verse 4 that says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, God didn't give her what she thought she desired, but he did use her pain to transform her desires. And then he gave her so much more than she could have ever imagined because Leah is in the direct line of our Lord Jesus Christ through her son, Judah. And I love that, the genealogy. So there's purpose there in that redemption. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And some of us here today, some of us in this room, we might feel used, we might feel unloved, or maybe even resented like Leah did. We may compare ourselves to other people instead of contemplating God's words to us through scripture. But it's only when we love God first with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength that we can experience his peace, his joy, his comfort, confidence, and contentment in our circumstances. And if you need to jot down verses to remind yourself of that, write down Luke 10, 27, Ephesians 6, 23, and 1 Timothy 1, 14. So both Mary and Leah have shown us how to be content and even grateful when we understand that God's purpose for us is good. And we are able to do this when we put our confidence in God. And so that's our final point this morning, girls. Put your confidence in God. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. So this is our confidence and our hope, but you cannot have this confidence until you know him, and you cannot know him until you repent and believe. So some of you here today may be more concerned with meeting the standards that the world has set for you, or friends, or social media, but God's standards are the only ones that matter. You are here for a purpose. We talked about that. But number one is to understand your need for the Savior. And you can't fight the schemes of the devil and the lies unless you are born again and in a right relationship to Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, not even one, not you, not me, not the most influential social media influencer. Well, all disqualified. But we tend to compare ourselves and think, oh, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so because I don't do this and they do. But we can't do that. We can't compare ourselves to others. We have to compare ourselves to God's standard of perfection. Christ is the only righteous one, and he took the place of sinners by dying on the cross, shedding his own blood, and satisfied the penalty for sin, and then that invitation is open to whosoever believes. But those who don't repent are on the broad road to hell, And you will be separated from God for an eternity. And of course, none of us wants that for any of you. We want heaven for each and every soul in this room. Young women, you need to know and love Jesus Christ. You are facing a harsh, unforgiving world. And we want you to stand strong for Christ. But first, you have to make sure that you are walking with him. You know, I really love it 
that the story of redemption is so intricately tied to God's design for women. It's all over scripture, but you really see it in Ephesians 5. But we can know, we can know that God has a purpose for women and a specific purpose for each one of us. Living our lives in harmony with God's revealed design will result in lives full of purpose and full of joy. As Elizabeth Elliot, one of our favorites, famously quoted, the fact that I'm a woman doesn't make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I'm a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. So we hope this morning you have been made aware where you may have bought the con in some different areas in your life and some of the the lies that the world has fed you. Maybe you've been discouraged about how God has made you or where he currently has you. But hopefully you've been encouraged this morning and are now confident that God has a purpose for women and a wonderful and specific purpose for your life. So pray with me, girls. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. We are so humbled by your love for us and your word. And I pray that in just the upcoming days that we can glorify you even more, that we understand and resist the schemes of the devil. I pray for every girl here, every heart, that it would be redeemed and renewed and refreshed and uh, just continually glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.